This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, it's 7.06, Thursday the 9th of February, and you're listening to The Morning Run with Chong Jensen, Philip C, and I'm Wong Xiaoning. Now, in about 30 minutes, we'll be discussing consumer sentiment and trends in the Asia-Pacific region. But in the meantime, let's recap how global markets closed yesterday. Oh no, my eyes are hurting because it's just a sea of red, with the only exception being Singapore's STI, which was just up 0.2%, but everything else was down. The US market's Dow was down 0.6%. S&P 500 down 1.1% and the Nasdaq was down 1.7%. Over and across in Asia, besides Singapore, the Nikkei was down 0.3%, Hang Seng down 0.1%, Shanghai Composite down 0.5% and back home, FBM KLCI also down 0.4%. Oh, not a good day for equity markets globally. But for some insights into where international markets are heading for the rest of this week, we speak to Vishnu Varatan. He is the Head of Economics and Strategy at Mizuho Bank. Good morning, Vishnu. Always good to speak to you. I want to start off with comments by the different Fed Reserve officials. Now, we heard from Jerome Powell yesterday and even today, Fed Bank of New York President John Williams said that prior Fed indications uh, that the would see the rates rise to 5.1% remain accurate. So, are the hawks still, are the Feds still hawks? Uh, hi, good morning, Shawnee. Uh, I, I think uh, the Feds are trying to suggest that they are not going to turn dovish very soon. And at the very least, they will remain, um, if one might put, cautiously hawkish in, in a calibrated fashion. Uh, for some reason, when uh, Jerome Powell conveys it, uh, it doesn't really hit markets in the face. Uh, whereas, as, as you all rightly pointed out, equities are, uh, are taking a knock because of the other Fed speakers chiming in. I, I think the two points that they probably sent across uh, without uh, equivocating is that uh, rates will have to go higher, uh, definitely uh, above five. Uh, some even suggesting, uh, you know, close enough to six. And the other point is they're not going to back down quickly because instead of focusing on the disinflation that uh, Powell did, they have focused on the fact that inflation remains too high and wages are running too hot uh, to, uh, to be able to, uh, you know, bring inflation down uh, durably to 2%. And Vishnu, with the Fed still being quite hawkish, what general implications would this have for the cost of funds in Asian emerging markets? I think the, I mean, so generally when the Fed is hawkish, you you are actually raising the price of money. So that typically tends to make funding get a lot tighter. Uh, but there are reasons to believe that uh, if, if this is sustained uh, and if the Fed is right about where they're going to hold rates for much longer, then the tightening impact uh, on, on Asia could be even more accentuated uh, for two reasons. One is, um, you know, apart from raising the cost of funds, they are draining US dollar liquidity. Uh, so there's going to be that dual impact. Uh, but Asia is perhaps going to feel it a bit more acutely uh, because if this is going to take place against a backdrop of two things, one is uh, the US uh, headline CPI continues to disinflate, uh, whereas Asia's remain fairly stickier. Uh, when we take in aggregates, that means that the the incentive for funds to remain in Asia diminishes because the real returns here are not as good. And the other is, if, if this is going to be accompanied by headwinds to growth, uh, a lot of the dollar earnings that Asia gets from exports get diminished. So for these two reasons put together, uh, the dollar funding in Asia could tighten even more acutely uh, if, if this really goes where the Fed wants it to go. 
Which, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, we had a whole plethora of alphabets, right? V, L, K, U, and the likes. I'm going to recycle this question now, but apply it to China. Where do you see the recovery shape and size? Like, is it V, L, K, or U? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm tempted to say that it is going to be um, a, a little bit of a... a, a I, I can't think of the right shape, but if you only look at this... Year, you can create a new to... one, Vishnu. <laughs> I'm, I'm tempted to, really. <laughs> I think it's, this year is going to be really a V, but it's really because we are coming from a very, very soft uh, growth last year. So the rebound is going to look like, oh, growth, you know, uh, was, was uh, trundling. Uh, oh, no, no, in fact, it's accelerated to you know 1.5 times or 1.8 times what it was last year. So it would feel that way. But the broader point is that there are a lot of structural headwinds, which means China would struggle to retain growth above the 5% that it wants. And it'd probably be struggling to hold it above 4.5% uh, in, in, in some cases, uh, especially as we see uh, geopolitics tighten and, and the confidence in the property market not returning so soon. So uh, China for us really is a very relative story, depending on your reference point. Okay, let's talk about uh, currencies because the era of king dollar seems to be coming to an end. I mean, even on a year-to-date basis, Bloomberg Dollar Spot Index is actually down 0.8%. So what does this then mean for ASEAN currencies like the ringgit and rupiah? That's a, that's a really good point, Shining. So, um, I mean, the, the for context, right, uh, at, at one point uh, last year, the, the dollar was up around in the ballpark of 20%. Uh, and it's and it's really moderated, uh, you know, sharply since uh, peaking at about in somewhere mid October last year. Even then, if you were to move your reference point back to September twenty one, when the Fed started getting uh, signaling hawkishness, right? The Fed, the, the, the dollar is still up uh, somewhere in the ballpark of nine uh, percent. So, if we take a slightly longer horizon, the, the the dollar remains stronger than it was before the Fed started its tightening, despite moderating sharply. And I think that brings us to the conclusion that the dollar has probably peaked, well and truly peaked. And this has happened historically about six months before uh, the Fed hits the highest rates. So it it pretty much uh, squares with what we know about the dollar. However, I don't think the dollar is on a sustained downward path. That's to say, especially against EMA Asia currencies, given the risks here and the uh, tighter uh, dollar funding, so on and so forth, it's it's not a one-way bet against the dollar. Uh, two instances can revive dollar strength quite sharply. One is whenever there are fears about just general risk aversion or you know underestimating the Fed's hawkishness. That's one instance. The other is if the global economy starts to slow sharply, these instances more often than not have also tended to favor the dollar over EM Asia currencies. And, and, and so at the best, dollar is not going to be as brutal, but it can deliver, uh, deliver you know jolts. Uh, of of, uh, of of bullishness that uh, EMA currencies need to look out for. And Vishnu, both Malaysia and Indonesia will be releasing fourth quarter GDP figures over the next week. How will their central banks, BNM and BI respectively, assess those numbers to determine monetary policy over the next quarter? I, By and large, I think the numbers are going to validate uh, the inclination of both the BNM and, and Bank Indonesia to retain somewhat of a hawkish bias, but be very cautious about just how much they hike. And the reason is the GDP data is going to show two things. One is on a base effect, it's going to show that it's going to slow. Uh, that is to be expected. But even in the details and under the hood, you see uh, there's some signs 
of of uh, of, of slowing, particularly uh, anything to do with manufacturing, which shows some headwinds. Uh, where it'll be uneven is, you know, some of the uh, tourism, travel, hospitality sectors would still be recovering. Yep. And so that can obfuscate the, the bigger picture. But the, the end of the day, uh, they would grow cautious about head, gathering headwinds to growth, uh, though remaining very, very uh, cognizant about the macro stability risks uh, that the high interest rate environment poses. So they will, uh, or when I say high, I mean the high Fed rates and hawkish Fed poses. So they, they would continue to, uh, hold ground, perhaps uh, very cautiously increase rates if, if inflation doesn't uh, doesn't bend. And Vishnu, the Adani saga seems to become India's Enron. You know, I recall Enron had huge implications on global on U.S. capital markets. Will we see the same thing happen in India for them? I'm so glad we are both of the same era. We can con- uh, we can discuss Enron. Uh, <laughs> 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 what what's Enron? <laughs> Philip's just pretending he knows it very, very well. <laughs> but I, you raise a good point. I mean, I, I think the the, the scale uh, of, of of the investor shock uh, continues to be very large, and and I and, and, and I think it could mark a moment where uh, there could be uh, huge repricing. But uh, the the difference here could be that if if India's regulators uh, can address some of these issues, it shouldn't. Uh, it, it really shouldn't uh, detract from from the allure of, of Indian growth equities uh, once we get past this stage. But I think in the next, uh, you know, at least six to nine months, it is going to weigh heavily uh, on on the Indian asset markets, including uh, the the currency, uh, because of the portfolio outflows is creating. It's really going to leave a big gap in, in external financing, and and this is really an unwanted headwind at a point of time when global conditions are worsening. All right, thank you very much for your time. That was Vishnu Varatan, Head of Economics and Strategy at Misuho Bank. Now, I think I want to pay attention to uh, results from the happiest place in the world. It's Disney. Their numbers actually beat expectations. Uh, share price actually went up 5% after market hours. Thanks uh, to actually, even though a smaller subscriber loss, uh, but they beat in terms of top and bottom line for the first quarter financial results. So it looks like old Bob, which is new Bob, uh, is making a difference. Well, I, to be fair, I think these results are the result of all the, the new Bob, who's now been replaced by the old Bob. Yeah, because this was done quarter four last year. Yes. So to give credit to the new Bob, who's basically now out of it, out of action. But if you look at the numbers, really, revenue grew seven point eight percent to twenty three point five billion dollars, slightly above analyst projections. As you were mentioning, Shaoning, this the plus subscribers did decline by about one percent at about one hundred and sixty one point eight million. That's about four times the population of Malaysia. Uh, but I think this is the first such decline amid cancellations of the hot star service in India mm. after Disney lost streaming rights to cricket there. Yeah, but I think what's interesting is that uh, there was a conference call with investors after results, after market hours, and they have come out to say that they're going to cut $5 billion in terms of cost. They will be slashing jobs, 7,000 jobs, but actually not very significant when you know that Disney actually hires more than 200,000 workers. The point is that the company will now be made of three divisions, Disney Entertainment, ESPN, for the longest time there was speculation that this was be spinned off, and then Parks Experiences and Products Units. So the market does like this news. 
Yeah, I think the bright spot really for the results was the Parks Division that continued to shine. Revenue in the division increased by 21% to $8.7 billion and earnings climbed by 25% to more than $3 billion. Okay, so the market still likes to stock 29 buys, 5 holes, no sales. Consensus target price for this stock, $125. US Last time priced during regular market hours, it was only up 15 cents to $111.78. Now, let's contrast this with another company whose results did poorly and that is Barbie maker Mattel. So their fourth quarter were below street numbers due to disappointing holiday sales. Revenue was down 22% year on year to $1.4 billion lower than street expectations. While adjusted earnings per share came in at 18 cents versus the expected 29 cents. Now Mattel reported a net income of $60 million or 5 cents per share. A huge plunge from the $226 million of 64 cents per share a year ago. Ken and Barbie we will be very disappointed. For sure. But the street still likes it. 12 buys, 2 holes, no sells. Consensus target price for the stock, $26.56. Last time price during regular market hours, $20.50. It was down $0.25. Cents. Isn't there a Barbie movie coming out? Yes, there is. So maybe that will be the catalyst for the share price. Do your children Are have you any Barbies? Are you planning to watch it? Yeah. Is, uh, are you a the- fan, Jensen? I was before in my younger years. But the Barbie or yeah. the Kent? Uh, both, both. <laughs> they came in a pair. Oh, did they? I didn't have Kent. I only you had liked, Barbie. You liked both, is it? I liked both. You yeah. liked both. Okay. Did you have any... Uh... Did I have any Barbie dolls? Yeah, I no, don't know. I, don't, I didn't have any dolls at all. I had, I had Transformers. Oh, yes. Okay, now you're revealing your age. I had Transformers when I, in my age. Okay. Uh, well, we have now revealed our age and our toy preferences. Up next, we'll cover the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned for that. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.